and welcome to this week's episode of a center trail podcast i'm tara i'm john and we're really glad to be with you uh we are excited this week to talk to you about a dual holiday that's Mm -hmm. happening this week on wednesday that's right uh it is both valentine's day and ash wednesday and as a religious historian, that's me, and a Catholic, that's John, <laughs> we thought we were highly qualified to talk to you about this. <laughs> yes, just just by dint of being Catholic, I have just stored within my the cells of my body, I have the knowledge of all this stuff. Uh, first, we will tell you that we continue to be active on our blog, um, and we have started to put up some student work. So if you are interested in seeing Terrace students and their stories um, mm-hmm. from sen- our, my center term class, we encourage you to get on and try and see that. I'd like them to get some attention. So <laughs> I'm shamelessly promoting them here. And we are entering week like two and a half of mm-hmm. our spring term. So uh, John has had a line of students out the door for days. It's amazing. Oh, I mean, it's it's great. Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> okay, so let me explain. Um, it, it, there's just so there's there's two elements. There's many elements to having lots of students. The the one element, which is the most important element, is that this is exactly why you go to a place like Center College. Yes. So that you can sit with your professor, you can have these conversations, and from the professor's point of view, they're usually fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and funnily enough, even if it seems like super mundane to start with, like footnoting, you'd be very surprised how quickly that conversation can actually become kind of interesting. Um, or you can grab and go, so tell me about your paper now that I have you here, double yes. checking your footnotes. So it is great. The reason I go, uh, <laughs> sigh, is more of a memory of what it will feel like a month from now when this has been happening every day. And it will still feel good then, but it will just it will just be tiring. That's all. I'm um, also being cruel because he <laughs> keeps like a 6.30 or 7 to 3-ish mm-hmm. hours. Yes. And I'm catching him on the tail end of that. So he's just tired and that's okay. I'm just, yeah, I'm just tired. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you've had a lot of students in to see you. It's, it's nice to see them in the hallway waiting for you. And it is. Listening to him chat. It is. And it just goes to show them my sports class strategy of just... Showing them videos and rambling for an hour seems to be actually working. <laughs> I uh, think I bored all my students today. I don't think they were bored. I think they just don't like to accept that today in my American Revolution class is the day where I, I try to convince them that the Stamp Act was not that bad. And they just aren't having it. <laughs> they are mostly, mostly, they're not all American students, but they're mostly mm-hmm. very good Americans who cannot wrap their mind around there being any other truth. Right. So. I had my hour. If I was having fun, they were not. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, you know, we're doing baseball this week and uh, not many young American students in 2018 jumping to the defense of baseball (laughs) as the national game. So uh, if you're a a baseball fan like I am, I'm a late convert in my life. Uh, Well, it's the same concerns baseball kind of has, but Mm -hmm. I think baseball is surprisingly durable with that kind of stuff. So yeah, I do think it's fascinating. I think... I think at this point, baseball fans just tend to be a little older than your average college student. The interesting question is that I think there is this fear that baseball fans have aged. Mm -hmm. But what if it's something like, you know, you just get into baseball later in your life? I think that could totally happen. Still a super kid-friendly sport. Oh, yeah. We love going to a nice baseball game. Yeah, you know, they used to, where I come from, people used to complain that everyone starts out left-wing politically and you move right as you get older. They they say that here. They say it here as well. So I don't know how true that is, but maybe maybe it's true in baseball, though. (laughs) You're watching these newfangled sports in your 20s. Then you learn what it's all about, you know. (laughs) 
So we are going to talk a little bit briefly about the practice and the history behind these two holidays that are happening this week together. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about why they're an interesting combination to have on the same day. And yeah, I, we thought that would be sort of a, a cool thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it came up just before we really get started. And and it was being shared on Twitter and stuff recently. But I forget, I think it was an archbishop somewhere Somebody brought this up. Mm-hmm. They were clashing and with a fully straight face, but I'm pretty sure doing it for laughs a little bit. Um, this particular parish kind of released like a press release or something or released a letter to its parishioners saying, just, that's okay. Just, you know, practice Valentine's Day the day before, you know, <laughs> what's the problem? <laughs> you know, like if you can't take your paramour for chocolates and dinner on the first day of Lent, which of course you can't, um, you should be busy feeling bad and denying yourself. Uh, just... <laughs> Take her out of the 13th. Problem solved. Okay, so let's take Ash Wednesday first. Okay. And 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 explain that. Because I think some people won't even understand the joke you just made. Because for some people, ah. Lent isn't... They don't have a very good grasp of what Lent is. Mm-hmm. So, um, Ash Wednesday is a religious holiday. It's a, it's a Christian holiday. And it is celebrating the first day of Lent, which is a period of 40 days, not including Sundays. Um, where Christians are preparing for Easter Sunday, Holy Week and Easter Sunday, and are practicing, um, in particular, they're they're trying to to practice some aesthetic practices to to try and apologize for their sins in some ways. Would Mm -hmm. you, as a Catholic, would you agree with that assessment? So this would instantly get interesting. Because I... Sorry. Uh, this is where we instantly get into interesting territory, which is what did John Harney, the Catholic who up in Ireland, <laughs> learn or, or think he learned? So L- Lent in Ireland was always, I think this is still happening, but I was a boy. There's a lot of Irish charities like Trocra and Boher and these Irish charities who work in Africa a lot mm-hmm. and they would sponsor fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would do a 48-hour water-only fast mm-hmm. and I got ma- various members of my extended family to sponsor me and stuff like that. The mm-hmm. same way if you're doing like a run for a charity, you know, you'd ask people to support you or if your child or, or you know, uh, or if you recently, you know, did cookies or something at school, that kind of stuff. The fast... That's what we did. I see. Um, and so I guess growing up, I focused less on this sense of kind of um, almost like a simulation of like what Christ did, you know, yeah. walking through the desert. Like, and I guess the, mm-hmm. so it probably is what you articulated, but I guess that just wasn't how the younger John Harney formed it. Well, it is certainly, and I think particularly in, for Catholics, but this is true mm-hmm. more universally for Christians. It is about, um, so in the New Testament, Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 Mm -hmm, nights, mm -hmm. and he battles against the the devil, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And for Who offers him, who tempts him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for many Christians, then, Lent is a a period where you should also fight against your temptations Mm -hmm. and, you know, particular sins that you might have on a kind of basic level. Mm -hmm. So if you overindulge in alcohol (laughs) or sweets. Right. Or if you know that you swear too much. Mm -hmm. Or if you know that you have been particularly um, covetous or that you have too many things, Mm -hmm. you might... Um, one of the more popular ones recently on Facebook is like 40 days for 40 bags and the idea of getting rid of a bag of stuff from your house every day. Huh. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and it's kind of tied to the sense of that's my temptation or that's my kind of my sin that gets to me and I, I mm-hmm. should kind of work on that. 
so it is very much what you're describing as uh, an imitation of Christ. Right. I also come from an old world tradition, not just a Catholic one, in the sense that, and again, forgive me, other old world Christians listening, but I feel that kind of you give up chocolate or alcohol or whatever, and then it ends and you move on. This whole like a bag a day is a lovely, interesting idea and is an excellent example of somebody really engaging with their faith and thinking <laughs> about their faith and thinking how it factors in their lives, which is something that at least for me, and maybe I'm just overly cynical, yeah, the priest says things like that, but you know, whatever. I'll give up chocolate and then I'll, it'll be over on <laughs> Easter Sunday. And in Ireland and Britain, we have even Easter eggs, which are a bit different from the ones in America, which are large eggs made of chocolate, typically full of other pieces of chocolate um and so easter sunday is this like you know almost like caligula level of like you know confined though confined to chocolate <laughs> level of like self-rewarding you know it, it will not surprise you at all that i have no problem conjuring up an image of you just diving into a oh, giant yeah. chocolate full of chocolate my mother used to send me easter eggs my first <laughs> years living in the u.s and I don't think, it, certainly the old world is not alone in this sort of... Sure. Like you just do. So when I was a teenager, I decided, as many Christian teenagers do, that I was going to give up chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I was faithfully doing this, which I wasn't even really that big of a chocolate eater, so it wasn't really that hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was way easier than giving up chips, that's for sure. <laughs> um, until one day, sitting at lunch, I eating my lunch in my cafeteria as a mm-hmm. high school kid. And I picked up and took a big drink out of my chocolate milk. I had not <gasps> realized. Uh... And I realized and everyone, my whole table full of friends laughed at me. But we decided that since it was the only time I drank milk, sure. it d- didn't count. The music from The Omen is playing in my head. <laughs> picturing you drinking. Um, St. Patrick's Day basically always falls right. during Lent, which does not stop. Irish people who have said they're not going to drink from celebrating on St. Patrick's Day. But um, St. Patrick's Day traditionally was always given a dispensation. I was going to say, I, I'm not a total expert mm-hmm. on this particular part of, of history, but I would guess that St. Patrick's Day doesn't didn't count very right. often or was given a dispensation. Exactly. So, for example, um, I, I as far as I know, this is no longer true. Uh, or it's not a little bit like eating meat on Sundays. You're kind of not supposed to do it, but it's okay. Um you usually traditionally could not get married during Lent. Lent was Lent. not an appropriate time to get married. Absolutely. But St. Patrick's Day was would give the dispensation. And so it was a very, very popular day for <laughs> marriages for a long time. Uh, and in Ireland, we have some sports competitions and stuff where they deliberately have the final on St. Patrick's Day. There's a lot of different ways that in Ireland, the calendar rotates around mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day. And so Lent just kind of naturally kind of gives way to that. Yeah. And there's a really nice kind of rhythm to, mm-hmm. to Lent, the Ash Wednesday starts. So some people will fast on Ash Wednesday um, very often, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, if you mm-hmm. are observant, you're going to go to a service or at least go and have the ashes put on your head mm-hmm. um, in the sign of a cross as a way of marking your participation in Lent mm-hmm. and kind of marking your participation in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also, uh, for Catholics, right, no, no meat on Fridays mm-hmm. except fish mm-hmm. for reasons that have nothing to do with religion. <laughs> <laughs> um, and other kind of habits of fasting mm-hmm. um, that happen in, in Lent, which is a really nice cycle, but it also helps to explain some of our other um, holidays. So, for example, Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Right. Um, and people who celebrate Shrove Tuesday mm-hmm. um, and uh, sometimes also called Pancake Tuesday, if mm-hmm. you are so inclined. Yeah, my whole life growing up, pan- although pancakes for us are more like what you guys would call crepes. Right. Um, like savory crepes. Yeah. That sounds like a weird probably sounds weird no, but they're really delicious. they're really good yeah uh, always pancake tuesday yeah um, yeah yeah and 
this is a way of partying before your mm-hmm. time of no partying happens, but it's also a time to use up all the stuff that you're not supposed to use during Lent. Right, right. <laughs> so pancakes, right, they require butter and milk. If you make crepes, more, mm. more of a crepe style, and you put sugar in it, right, you, now you've got something really delicious. <laughs> um, so this is kind of, right, you have this these big celebrations in in New Orleans, and in part that's as a celebration of, of Mardi Gras and this time mm-hmm. before Lent starts. And I think some people may not always understand that this is part of the, the liturgical calendar. Yeah, I don't know much about Mardi Gras. Like, is, is Mardi Gras explicitly a Shrove Tuesday style celebration or like the, the whole Fat Tuesday thing? Because obviously it's something that lots of non-Christians or people who don't really intend to observe Lent are still going to like fly to New Orleans for the holiday right. and all this kind of stuff. but. Well, it starts off, right, New Orleans is part of Louisiana, mm-hmm. which changes hands back and forth between Spain and France, but it has right. a distinctively French culture, and Mardi Gras is a distinctively French thing, right? right, right? So right. it is very rooted there in, in French Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, which is itself, which is a kind of its own deal yeah. over the centuries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it certainly has religious elements, although for the most part, I, I think in... New Orleans, it is just a giant excuse to party. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? Yeah, probably. (laughs) So so there you kind of have it, right? So Ash Wednesday is the end of parties and certainly Mm -hmm. supposed to be the end of indulgences, Mm. personal indulgences for a while. And it is. And speaking of fasting, again, my own personal experience, like the classic, you know, um, would be you don't eat between meals. You can't eat. Um, you can't eat meat on days like Ash mm-hmm. Wednesday, and you I forget depending on how strict you are. Maybe you can't drink tea, which might not sound like that big of an ordeal, but <laughs> in Irish culture can be depending on who you're talking to. Uh, like drink tea in between meals, like there's only water can pass your lips, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then Good Friday right. um, is a really big deal, yeah. a really really big big mm-hmm. deal in the sense that you know this isn't. I don't believe this is true anymore, but like the pubs used to close at like nine thirty or something in the evening on Good Friday, mm-hmm. and lots of people wouldn't open, and then Black Saturday. Day or Holy Saturday, depending on what you call it, mm-hmm. like that 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 final build up. It's almost like there's a doubling down into Lent yeah. for the last three or four days before Easter Sunday. Yeah, Holy Week is certainly a doubling. I mean, the the restrictions are supposed to be more intense, mm-hmm. and your penitence is supposed to be more. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the American experience, Americans, right? America is not founded by people who are especially fond of Catholics. There <laughs> aren't a ton of Catholics in the colonies. Um, right at its early stages but puritans were very interested in fast days and in sort of communal fasting and so they did a lot of this in the spring hmm. um either kind of personally kind of having these personal fast days mm-hmm. especially in during lent or communal ones where everybody was supposed to fast and, and pray and go to church right so this is something that's happening regardless of whether you're a catholic or a protestant right and then we have valentine's day Right. And this is the joke then that I made earlier yeah. or that the, 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 that particular parish made, which is like, that's fine. Just move your celebration. And this kind of just this and kind of tongue in cheek, kind of recognizing that people won't actually do that. Yeah. But just this idea of like adhering to the concept that, well, you know, it's 40 days and it's more important than um, your made up thing. Yeah. And St. It's Saint, right? Saint Valentine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, and I forgot to look this up, but I don't think that St. Valentine's Day is a recognized saints day i don't believe it's a holy day of obligation i don't think it's a holy day of obligation no. i think it might be a local saints day some places but i don't think it's a holy day of obligation no, I don't think so, so you can totally move it if it was a holy day of obligation that would be different 
Yeah, and they do weird things like vigil masses. And sorry, yeah. I'll get into the weeds here and bore the crap out of everybody. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So it, that 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 comment was a hundred percent addressed to the commercial behemoth yes. that is Valentine's Day. And while some people may be sitting there thinking Valentine's Day is a freaking made up Hallmark holiday, <laughs> well, you are not wrong that Hallmark likes Valentine's Day, but it's also not a totally uh, made up. Day. Well, like all, Mother's Day is. All holidays are made up, first <laughs> right. of all. Sorry. Spoiler alert. All holidays are made up. But there is a, kind of a longer history here of mm-hmm. Valentine's Day. And it's tied up with kind of two ideas. Courtly love, which um, starts, which is happening kind of in the medieval and the Renaissance period, where courtiers at, who are at court with kings and queens um, kind of do these lovey-dovey things to one another, um, even if they don't really mean them for kind of mm-hmm. political reasons or... Uh, other reasons, this idea that courtiers could could share courtly love, right? You might might say something about how wonderful a married mm-hmm. woman is, but if it's happening at court, there are ways that that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. And Valentine's Day is something that you start to see happening there. It's sort of an excuse mm-hmm. for for giving these highfalutin speeches and these love tokens that reinforce political things. So, but is there but is there in courtly love? Is, are there versions of things like ghosting and other present-day <laughs> phenomena that riddle? I used to live in Austin, Texas, and read an article the day. Apparently, the men who live in Austin, Texas, are particularly bad for these modern-day practices, um, which does not surprise me at all. Ghosting, by the way, is when someone just stops replying to you, having gone on a couple of dates. So were there these fulsome declarations of courtly love and then lots of cold shoulders? Yeah. <laughs> They're politically motivated, so sure. Um I, you can. I would say Henry VIII and Anne of Cleves is a ghosting situation. <laughs> okay, we have to stop being nerds for two seconds. Explain that reference really quickly. Henry VIII, uh... King of England, the one with all the wives. Anne of Cleves, one of the wives. Who he married for entirely political reasons, yes. right? To, to open up, to, to get a hold in France or and something. And she gets there and she's not as attractive as he was hoping. Or so he says. Or so he that says. That might have been his story, his excuse to... Yes. Yeah. Um, but, but also might have been true. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I'm, that he might have thought that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Anne of Cleves. I, I wouldn't, We're so sorry. I wouldn't besmirch you in that way. Anyways. <laughs> I would say, though, that ghosting actually has more to do with than the kind of reinvention of Valentine's Day that happens with the ah. Victorian period in the 19th century. And it's not maybe so surprising that it was the Victorians who thought this up. Um, the Victorians love l- love. Mm-hmm. At least they love love between happily married people people mm-hmm. and this idea of like companionate marriage has started to show up so so people are trying to find partners that they actually like mm-hmm. uh which didn't happen as much before can i can i jump in sure. really quickly and just be that guy again but i think it's worth pointing out can we really quickly clarify what companionate marriage yeah. is as opposed to the alternative so um most marriages before the 19th century were happening for either political or economic reasons mm-hmm. right there it made sense for these two people to be married and like there was an expectation, like you might want to make sure that they were going to get along, or if right. you were a nice dad, maybe you know make sure that your your kid liked the spouse, mm-hmm. or especially if they were a man, a boy that you're because parents are having very decisive roles yes. here in the matchmaking process. Yeah, but that starts to end in the kind of the late 18th century, mm-hmm. uh, and this idea of finding someone who can be your partner starts mm-hmm. to show up right that you, you want a companion yeah. what happens towards the end of the 18th century I can't in imagine. western societies involving industrial 
machines and industrial. So uh, and the, the kind of emergence <laughs> of the middle class and everything else in Asian history. This is a, a major topic. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, and the, because there's, uh, you know, arranged marriage, of course, kind of persists and uh, matchmaking is this really, for example, matchmaking in Chinese history is a very interesting example of women actually having more agency than perhaps they've been given credit for having. So, oh. you know, this is a big thing in history of the last 20, 30 years is we had this assumption about the role women played, um, but all matchmakers tended to be women. So yeah. that's obviously powerful because that's, that's a really important job. Um, and so um, the, the term that's often used in Chinese, Japanese mar- uh, family histories is of a corporate model. And so the idea mm-hmm. is that you're literally your your family are resources yeah uh, and you have to pool those resources mm-hmm. and for well-heeled political families those resources are political and for a farming family your children are labor that doesn't mean you mm-hmm. don't love your children of right. course and all these things but that you have to kind of you have to figure that out so i just wanted to throw that yeah, in and then great. so companion marriage is a big is, is a shift yeah major shift yeah yeah i didn't realize that that same kind of discussion happened that's great. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal, and it's and it, like I said, it's a great way to talk about women in a different way, and not to kind of succumb to this idea that like there are realities in which East Asia has been very patriarchal, but mm-hmm. there's there's a lot more nuance to it, you know, obviously. Yeah, and um, that's not to say that so companion companion at marriage doesn't mean that now everybody gets to marry who they want. Like that's that's not the reality, right? But the, but the idea that you should kind of at least know and like the person you're marrying, mm-hmm. and increasingly women are asserting that they, they get to choose that their their father doesn't get to choose for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yes, Jane Austen, Jane Austen, yeah, that's a good <laughs> right. Um, but so this is happening at the same time as industrialization mm-hmm. and the creation of middle class. Uh, and it's happening alongside the rise of giving gifts, of mm-hmm. gift giving becoming a really important part of Western hmm. culture. Um, giving gifts in the sense of like things that are specific for gifts. So mm-hmm. there are books that are for gift giving, like for children or hmm. for women, or there are cards. Right. And most at first, these are kind of handmade cards, right? You might make a card to give to somebody Mm -hmm. or locks of hair or other kind of homemade things. Mm -hmm. But because of industrialization and sort of the rise of this consumer middle class and um, things like um, Macy's and other Mm -hmm. stores of that kind, Mm -hmm. emporiums, they're often called, Mm -hmm. um, you start to see cards and other presents that are being made kind of more industrially. Mm-hmm. And so Victorians love all this stuff. They love giving gifts. They love love. And they are looking for ways to legitimize that sort of courtship stuff. Mm-hmm. And Valentine's Day fits the bill. <laughs> and so this is an idea, kind of a, an idea of it, a holiday that's been floating around for a long time. But the it's the Victorians who really say, no, no, this we're going to make this a thing. Um, and so you start to see Cupid um, showing up and, you know, they love kind of these Roman references. And so Cupid fits the way they think about the world and mm-hmm. hearts and Valentine's Day and um, starts to become a thing. And it's a particularly a thing between I mean, it doesn't have to be somebody that you want to marry. It can be something between friends or very hmm. often. Sometimes there were tricky ones at first. Mm-hmm. So a man might send a woman a Valentine, but it's not a nice Valentine. It tells them <laughs> like something mean that they don't like the person or that they're bossy and loud. Oh, that's and terrible. It's, it's horrid. <laughs> it's like evil mansplaining. That's awful. It's terrible. Um, so th- that's when 
Valentine's Day comes to be a day mm-hmm. that's celebrated. And, and and so, yes, Hallmark loves it. But cards have always been associated mm. with it, not not just Hallmark. And it's funny you bring up this idea of it kind of being different scenarios because, of course, you know, uh, my son has not one but two uh, oh. Valentine's parties this week because he goes to kind of two different daycares. <laughs> um, I'm assuming that uh, your son has a Valentine's party this week at school. So what he, are if he's giving his teacher a card or something like that? Well, he will give, he has little Valentine's cards with candy, right? Because right, that's the right, other right. Um, right. candy companies. You start to have chocolate that you can sell in that kind of way. And mm-hmm. then mid to late 19th century confections, mm-hmm. you couldn't really sell chocolate in that kind of form before that point in time. At least not, right, right? you could go and buy a chocolate, like made by a chocolatier, but to buy a stable chocolate that then you could take and give to somebody else, Mm -hmm. that's that's technology that's really perfected in the mid to late 19th century. Then you're getting like boxes of small chocolates and things. But when I was living in the Philippines as a teenager, um, I set this memory, it's kind of anecdotal, but like, I remember people wishing other people happy Valentine's Day, like a friend of mine wishing his like his friend's mother <laughs> I mean, Valentine's Day, and it, it, but kind of part of this almost universal kind of it's a holiday and it's just a it's an excuse to say a nice thing to somebody happy yeah. valentine's day and this mm-hmm. kind of very kind of general you know you know not not yeah not confined to um you know the all there's such a jaded thing on valentine's day now you know people who joke about the obligations of it and then people who complain about being single on valentine's day and all these all this all these interesting ways that our present day culture deals with it you know yeah and there were people at the time who thought the valentine's day kind of um reinforced bad in the 19th century reinforced Mm -hmm. bad ideas like that it was going to encourage too much physical connection Mm -hmm. or that it was um kind of encouraging people young people to to make these connections without listening to their elders Hmm. um that it was too commercialized so while people started off hand making valentines they're so cute like the 1840s and 50s that was a big thing was to to make their own valentines by the 1860s and 70s people are buying valentines and there are people who are like oh this society like they can't even take the time to make their own valentines anymore (laughs) uh one thing that i found really interesting is the rise of Galentine's Day. I don't. I and here I'm going to admit to some cultural uh, pop culture things that I don't know. I don't watch Parks and Rec. Oh right. But my understanding is that this is something that was invented by Parks and Rec. Uh huh. I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. The, the the protagonist, the main the main character in that show, has this extremely um, like committed friendship to another female character on the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but this has actually become a. Thing that people are now celebrating. Um, it just so happens that um, International Day of Women in Science also falls just a few days before Valentine's hmm. Day. Right. And so I had a Facebook feed of people celebrating Valentine's Day <laughs> this weekend. Um, and I think that's a really interesting kind of innovation because for Victorians, you didn't necessarily have to, to send Valentine's to a, to a person you are romantically interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's certainly how it's been interpreted then since then, in the 20th right. century. And here you see people pushing against it in ways I think are interesting. <laughs> and um, then there's the Tired Parents Valentine's Day, <laughs> also known as Wednesday. <laughs> the Maybe if we can get the kids to bed early enough, we can fall asleep watching the same TV show. Uh, yes, that would be, that'd be a very romantic end of the day, I think. But so there you have it. We have two holidays who actually mm-hmm. have very different ideas, yeah. right? Because the idea... 
of Valentine's Day then is to indulge or to encourage somebody that you love to indulge, to indulge in a sweet or in a drink or a nice dinner, right? To, to show them that they're special in some kind of indulgent way. Mm-hmm. And then you have Lent or Ash Wednesday, <laughs> which is all about sort of beginning this um, imitation of Christ. Right. And, and what he was willing to give up and, and fight against. So it's an interesting clash of holidays. Um, and I'm not really sure there's any way to unite those two. Well, just as one ending note, um, if I may. Yes. I'm intrigued by, so as a practicing Catholic, I'm intrigued by the attempts of some to to put these two things together. So what I mean is that um, when my wife and I got married, you we went to this, it was a camp is what it was. Pre-Cana. Um, yeah. Pre-Cana. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the conversations was about, you know, uh, married relationships. And they talked about, you know, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior to those Christians listening, mm-hmm. was, you know, with you in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and in bed with you, I think, at one point was kind of said. So, you know, I'm intrigued by this attempt to kind of combine it. Is this something, because someone who knows a lot more about kind of religious cults <laughs> in the U.S. than me, I mean, is this, is this, first of all, is that a super recent idea to kind of, is that, is almost, you know, as part of trying to make, for example, Christianity more sex positive, which I think is something that there are Christians trying to do that, right? Trying to mm-hmm. shed off this idea that, it, that it's an anti-sex religion. I mean, is that something that has longer roots or is that just more a, example of more recent attempts to kind of, almost to kind of, you know, shift a Christian kind of practice or to acknowledge the reality of what people are doing and try and show that, look, your faith is something that includes this, doesn't have to be in opposition to it. I think that's a really great point. And what I would say is, right, for a long time, um, Christianity, um, Catholicism, before mm-hmm. the Protestant Reformation, was yes. certainly acknowledged um, sex between married couples or not um, in a mm-hmm. way that... that later versions of the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church did not. When the Counter-Reformation fixed Catholicism yeah. and, yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> uh. <laughs> my tongue is very firmly in my cheek, people listening. But yeah, I, but that's when you get this whole, quote-unquote, anti-sex uh, reputation of the yeah. Catholic Church, which which many would argue is earned, but I'm not, that's a topic for another day. But, um, but I would say that this idea of companion marriage, one of the ways that people took it, Protestants in particular, mm-hmm. I don't really know as much about how Catholics took the idea of companion marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Protestants, uh, especially those involved in the Seventh Great Awakening who were very interested in emotional conversions, finding a, a partner who was equally yoked to you, right, who, mm-hmm. who was the same kind and level of Christian even, mm-hmm. was important. Mm-hmm. But in part that was important because you wanted to be equally yoked in your religion so that you could be equally yoked in your kind of life. And that included sex. Okay. And the idea was that, that if you like each other, you're probably going to like having sex with each other, mm-hmm. or at least the woman's not going to hate having sex with <laughs> you, which was the idea of women at the time. Right, right, right. That women were interested in sex. Right. So it's not sex positive, but it is certainly acknowledging that you, it might be better if these companionate people have the same level of Christianity and are kind of thinking about God in the same way. Mm-hmm. But I would say this that the kind of more modern idea of... of, of God being a, a part of the of the marriage mm-hmm. duo is is newer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and that's how it kind of strikes me. But I had a feeling that it had kind of some roots. Yeah, I knew you. I knew you'd have the answer. 
entire time. And we got through that with a minimum of blushing. So we hope that you enjoy kind of thinking about this interesting conundrum for some people on Wednesday. Um, celebrate Valentine's Day or Galentine's Day or Ash Wednesday or Shrove Tuesday, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. Um, Try the uh, European-style pancakes, also known as savory crepes. They are <laughs> awesome and not super hard to do. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's all we have for you today. We will be back next week with something equally interesting, although at this point we have no idea what that is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Tara. And I'm John. And we'll see you next week. Bye.